2. Last week we began to look at the fourth book of the Psalms, which includes Psalm 90 through to 106. And we noted that the Psalms examine us and they guide us in our Christian experience. Now, if we want a healthy Christian experience, we need to be a willingly part of this examination process, and then we need to follow the guidance provided. Now, we've said many times, and we will say it again, we live in troubled times, and we live in a troubled world. Psalm 91 speaks to the subject of danger and personal faith being shown by the writer and hopefully by us in the face of danger. So in response to the danger that's all around us, Christians are to trust in God and in his sovereign will and in his providential care. Now, perhaps we should define those two statements, sovereign will, providential care. They're closely connected, but they're not quite the same. God's sovereign will is his right and his power to do whatever he decides to do. His providential care is his ability to provide for his people exactly what they really need. So we might say God's providence is his wise and purposeful sovereignty in action. And we are safe when we're under that sovereignty and under that providential care. What we see in the psalm here is three sections, verses 1 and 2, personal faith is testified, and the writer expresses his personal faith in God, and the pronoun used there is I. Then the second section, verses 3 to 13, the pronoun is you. It's a word from the psalmist to the reader and to us. And then the third section, verse 14 to 16, there's a divine pronoun, I. God speaks to us and declares what he will be and what he will do for the people who love him and who trust in him. But the psalm reminds us that it is God's desire that we experience a sense of safety and security in a very unsafe and insecure world. So let's, first of all, think of personal faith as it's testified by the writer in verses 1 and 2. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. The psalmist is saying here, I am not talking theory here. This is my personal experience. I have found in God my safety and my security. Whatever danger I have faced, whatever situation I have found myself in, And I have faced danger of many, many kinds. But I know safety and security in God. The message is that um, we are safe at home with God and in God. We know what the government message is in these days. Stay home. Keep safe. Save lives. Well, the psalmist is basically saying, stay at home in God Stay at home and be safe. What we have in these first two verses are four titles for God and four metaphors of safety and security. The first title is Elion, or Most High, as it is there in the English translations. 36 times God is called Most High. And the thinking behind this term is that he's the possessor of all things. He owns everything. And therefore, we can dwell in the shelter 
of the Most High, safe and secure, no matter what happens to us, good or bad. Shaddai is the second title for God, Almighty. The idea that he's a giving God, he provides for us, and we can rest in the shadow of Shaddai, the shadow of the Almighty, whatever happens, good or bad. The third title is Yahweh, which is, again, translated Lord. And every time you see the word Lord in capital letters, it's, uh, it stands for Yahweh, the greatest name for God in the Hebrew language. He is the God who exists because he exists. I am who I am, as he introduced himself to Moses. The um, eternal and unchangeable God of the covenant with his people. That's who Yahweh is. And he promises his people so much, and he never lets us down. And so we can be safe and secure in him, his refuge and his fortress, no matter what happens, good or bad. The fourth title is Elohim, or God, as it's there at the end of verse 2. 2,700 times this title is used in the Bible. And the first occurrence actually is in as creator in Genesis 1. Elohim is creator. He has power, absolute power. Therefore, in him, we can be safe and secure, no matter what happens, good or bad. So you're getting an idea of who God is? Most high, almighty, Lord, and God, providing shelter, shadow, refuge, fortress. And the psalmist says, this is my experience. What a testimony from the psalmist. And for us, of course, living all these years later, after the cross, we have all of this in Jesus, God's revelation to us. So I ask you two questions. Is Jesus Christ your Lord and your God, your Savior? Because the promises of Psalm 91 are for his people who have trusted in his Savior. The second question is this. Are you in close fellowship with him? I mean, do you live in him? Do you rest in him? Is he your dwelling place? Have you an everyday relationship with him? So what we see here is personal faith testified in these first two verses. Secondly, we have personal faith encouraged in verses 3 to 13. Now, I'm very thankful to Keller and Kidner and Boyce, the commentators that I, uh, my to-go uh, commentators for the Psalms, especially Tim Keller's very helpful uh, in understanding of this section of Psalm 91. We move from I to you. The psalmist is speaking to us. <clears throat> so this is not straightforward, so we have to work a wee bit harder at this, and we have to think biblically about this. There's a major difference between, I suppose, three approaches looking at this section. What the writer seems to be saying or suggesting is the first thing. The second thing is what Satan would want us to understand. And then the third thing, what the psalmist actually says in line with the whole of Scripture. First thing is this. I mean, the psalmist seems to be saying that nothing bad will ever happen to us if we have faith in God. No deadly pestilence, verse 3. 
No violence, verse 5. No plague, verse 6. No death, verse 7 and 8. No harm, verse 10. Verse 11 and 12, you won't even stub your toe in any circumstances. Yes, the psalm says, bad things will happen, but not to you. Harm can't hurt you. Is this how we're supposed to understand this? That if we really, 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 really trust in God, nothing really, really, really bad will ever happen to us. And I suppose the reverse is also true. If something really, really, really bad has happened to us or is happening to us, it's because of a lack of faith. Now, some actually preach and teach this kind of understanding. But is this understanding correct? The answer is no. Very much the answer is no. It's an utterly selfish and man-centered way of understanding Psalm 91. But of course, by nature, we are selfish, we are self-centered, and so we find such teaching attractive. The problem is that it's not in line with the rest of Scripture. Take example, the story of Job. If you know the story of Job, you will know why you can't read Psalm 91 in the way I've just outlined. Job suffers. He suffers immensely. His friends basically provide a view that I have just outlined. His friends interpret the promises of God wrongly, but they challenge Job anyway. And at the end of the story, in the last chapter, chapter 42, verse 7, God says to one of his friends, I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. That's absolutely brilliant. I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken of me what is right. And that's very easy to do. We must be careful not to do this, especially with texts of Scripture flying around on social media about promising health and wealth and protection in these COVID-19 days. We've got to be very careful that we do not misunderstand or misrepresent Scripture because Satan would love us to do that. Satan would love us if we were to misunderstand the promise of God about our safety and security in God. He actually quoted Psalm 91 to Jesus in the three temptations in the wilderness. You can read about that in Luke chapter 4, verses 9 to 12. This is the third of the three temptations. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written... He will command his angel concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered it and said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. The devil can quote, in fact, misquote scripture. And basically what Satan is doing here in this third temptation, in fact, all three temptation, is if your father loves you, Jesus, he will not let you suffer. 
That's very, very clever of Satan, isn't it? He's saying, Jesus, really, of all people, you don't need to walk the path or the road of suffering. You shouldn't have to go to the cross, for instance. If your father wants you to suffer, if your father wants you to go to the cross, then he's not good. Follow me, he says, and I will give you everything without pain or suffering. In the previous temptation, the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. He said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I will give it to anyone I want to, if you worship me. It will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. See, Satan's very clever. And he uses a similar kind of strategy with the likes of me and you. If we're misled about suffering and believe these false promises that I've outlined, when, when bad things happen, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to pull back from God, aren't we? We will say, I believed in God, and it didn't work. I mean, I trusted God, and it was all in vain. I accepted the promises, and it failed. Now, this is very important. That's why I'm spending so much time dealing with this issue. Because what is the number one reason why most unbelievers do not believe? And what is the number one reason why most believers stop believing? If that's possible. The answer is suffering, pain, loss. You see, Satan's aim is to destroy our trust in God, to question our view of Scripture, and to doubt that God is sovereign and that God does care, that there is such a thing as security and safety in Him. He wants us to doubt all of that. So, if a misunderstanding of a Sunday anyone is wrong, and if the view that Satan would want us to believe is wrong, how do we ensure that we understand that these promises of safety and security properly? How do we understand this? How do we ensure that we can do this properly? Well, we've got to compare Scripture with Scripture. And we've got to make sure we never take Scripture out of context. Take Joseph's life as an example. If you know his story, you know that he was sold into slavery as a boy. He was wrongly accused by Mrs. Potiphar. He was thrown into jail. And then he was forgotten by Pharaoh's butler. It's a story of mistreatment and cruelty and broken promises. Bad things happened to Joseph. Lots of bad things. But at the end of the story, do you remember? Genesis 50 and verse 20, he said to his brothers, you intended it to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You intended it for harm, God intended it for good. You see, if Joseph had not been sold into slavery, if he had not gone through that false accusation and ended up in jail and been forgotten, he would never have become a great leader in Egypt. He would never have been in a position to see his brothers repent of their sins. He would never have been used to save millions from starvation. For Joseph, you see, suffering was good. 
and necessary and beneficial. He was safe and secure even in his suffering. It is with this in mind that we should understand Psalm 91. Or take another example, Romans 8, verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. In all things means bad things as well as good things. It is with this in mind that we should understand Psalm 91. Or take another example, one that uh, Kidner makes reference to and also Keller. It's from Luke 21. It's getting towards the end of the ministry of Jesus, uh, and he's talking about signs of the ends of the age. And verse 16, this is what he says, you will be betrayed even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. Isn't that a bit weird? Some of you will be put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. Bad things will happen, but I will keep you safe, says Jesus. Some of you will die, but I will keep you safe, says Jesus. Verse 19, um, one translation puts it, but in patient suffering you will possess your souls. Or I love the amplified version of this, by your patient endurance, empowered by the Holy Spirit, you will gain your souls. What Jesus is saying here is that you, the real you, the you that will last forever, I will keep safe and secure. And I won't even let one of your hairs on your head be damaged or lost of the real you. Nothing can separate you from me. Not trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, you see, you need to understand Psalm 91 with this in mind. Believe in his sovereign care. Believe in his security and safety. So let's look briefly at Psalm 91, these verses, after that very long introduction. Um, through um, all of Scripture lenses, okay? All of Scripture lenses. Verse 3 does not mean those who trust in God will never die of an infectious disease or suffer from an enemy plot. We, we've seen that already, that that's not what this means. It means that habitually, we will be delivered from such things. And many of you will say, amen, that God has saved me from my enemies and from my diseases. Until, of course, one day, he will use something, and it might be a disease, to finally take us home to himself. But we can trust him. That's what we're told here in the psalm. Verse 4, um, he will cover you with his feathers. It means he will keep us safe and secure with a tender care of a, a mother hen. And he also then mentions in verse 4 um, the, the armor of a warrior. We can trust him because of that kind of care. Verses 5 and 6, the clue is in the first four verse or four words. 
you will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence stalks. And we can trust him. We don't need to fear because we're safe and secure in him, no matter what happens. Verses 7 and 8 is about punishment and judgment of the unsaved, of the unbelieving. Let me read these uh, two verses. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. You see, the clue there is at the end of verse 8. We cannot, we will not be punished because we've been forgiven. And so we're safe in Jesus. Our sins have been atoned for by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we can trust him because we're safe and secure in him. Verses 9 and 10 are the conditions of safety and security. If you make the most high your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent. So make the most high your home, your dwelling, your your heart, your soul, your very being filled with him. Not just vague belief, but continual trust in God, in Christ. Friends, you see, we can trust him no matter what happens, good or bad. Verse 11 and 12, the verses that we looked at before, the verses that... Satan misquoted because he left parts of it out. Um, For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Promised here, 24-7, the presence and protection of angelic beings keeping us safe and secure. We can trust him no matter what. He will provide safety and security. And then verse 13. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. I mean, who is the roaring lion? I mean, who is the serpent? Satan. Jesus has triumphed over Satan. And in Christ, the righteous will be victorious over Satan as well. Um, He has been trampled, so we we can walk upon the lion and the cobra, the great lion and the serpent. See, we can trust God. He will keep us safe and secure. I know we've gone through these verses pretty quickly, but I hope you're getting the big picture here. Personal faith encouraged, not in false promises that if you have enough faith, bad things won't happen, but in the true promise that in Jesus We're always safe. We're always secure, no matter what. Job teaches us. Joseph teaches us. Romans 8 teaches us. Jesus teaches us. So let's learn the lesson. We're safe and secure in danger in Jesus. Thirdly and lastly and pretty quickly, personal faith rewarded. Now God speaks in verses Um, 14 to 16. God speaks and he says, because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. 
He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. God makes it clear that what we have discovered in our study through the likes of Job and Joseph and Romans 8 is actually real and actually true. Verse 15, I will be with him in trouble. There it is in black and white. I will be in trouble, says the psalmist, but he will be with me in my trouble. Verse 14, I will rescue him. I will protect him. If I need to be rescued, that means I must have got myself into a position where I need to be rescued from. I will protect him, he says. That means there must be some danger out there that I need to be protected from. Again, God is not saying I will save him from trouble, but I will save him in trouble. I will save him through trouble. By the way, it would not be good for us to be saved from all our trials and troubles. That's why we began our service with 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. And James 1 uh, has a similar point to make. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. You see, as James 1 says, God longs that our faith might be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And for that, we have to go through trials. But we're safe and we're secure in the sovereign will of God and in, under the providential care of God. So God is working out a plan in you and me. It involves lots and lots of good things, praise his name, but it also involves some bad things, but all for our good. So the promises, safety and, and security and satisfaction, you'll notice there, verse 16, with long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. This promise is often made in the Old Testament and again is often misunderstood. It doesn't necessarily mean a long life of many years, but a complete life, a full life, a satisfied life. And this satisfied life is promised to those who love him, verse 14, who acknowledge him, verse 15, and who call out to him, verse 16. And when we do that, we're saved and we're satisfied. Are you saved and satisfied in Christ? In his sovereign will and providential care? I want to end with thinking about the, the mother bird and her protecting wings in verse 4. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? Verse 4, he will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge his faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. Do you remember Jesus wept over Jerusalem because he longed to protect them and keep them safe and secure? He actually described himself like being a mother hen willing to do that, but they did not want him. They didn't love him. They didn't acknowledge him, and they didn't call out to him, and they remained unsaved and unsatisfied. But when Jesus died on the cross, he fulfilled verse 4 for us. 
just as the mother bird would protect her chicks from the heat of the sun or from the rain and the wind or even from a predator, so Jesus gave up his life to protect us from the wrath of God and from the judgment of God upon our sin. He took it all for us. He took it all for our sin so that we are not punished for our sin. And we are kept safe. Whatever happens, good or bad. And the mother hen, in this case, the Lord Jesus himself, becomes our substitute. He takes the pain so that we are safe and secure no matter what the pain might be. And he stayed on the cross despite horrible pain, despite all the people around him mocking him and hating him. He stayed on the cross and the judgment fell on him for our salvation, for our eternal safety and security, no matter what happens here on earth, good or bad. In these days, as individuals and as families and as a nation, we may be building up huge debt. But the only debt that can harm us eternally, the debt of sin, has been paid for. Let's focus on that. And in these days, as individuals and as families and as a nation, we may contract awful disease. But the only disease that can hurt us eternally, the disease of sin, has been paid for, has been healed by Jesus. What a Savior. Safe and secure in Jesus. Whatever happens to us, rest in Him. Rest in Him. I say again, rest in Him. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Trust in Him and be safe and be secure. God bless you this week. Let me pray. Father, thank you for these wonderful challenging but helpful words that you call us to dwell in the shelter of the Most High, to rest in the shadow of the Almighty, to say of Yahweh, He is my refuge and my fortress, to say of God, I will trust in you. No matter what happens, good or bad, may we trust in you. And may we see that real safety, real security, is found in a living relationship with the Lord Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you that there, Jesus, despite horrible pain, despite all the people around him mocking him and hating him, despite the judgment falling upon him, he stayed there for us so that our debt of sin might be paid for, that the disease of sin might be healed. Help us to rest in him and to be saved by him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.